You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the first of many off-season Locked On Indians podcasts. I'm your host, Jeff Ellis, over at 24-7 Sports. Uh, my mock draft dropped yesterday. If you hadn't had a chance to check it out, uh, please do so. It is a labor of love, but it is a lot of work as I look through the traditional approaches of each team's uh draft strategy, how they go about it, what they do in round one in particular, um, looking at the overall view of things. I will be updating this piece as teams get eliminated. I had someone be like, why are you doing it that way? I'm like, well, I've done it that way for four years. Well, in the past, I just wrote up the teams that were eliminated as a consolation for those fan bases. But I'm going to add those extra teams in because, honestly, it'll get more hits and it makes the article a little bit more evergreen, just to, to be uh, really honest with this. The Cleveland Indians, um, well, before I even get into who I put to the Indians, and I mentioned a pair of players, and there's some more players that I thought, you know, we'll maybe talk about. It's just kind of some early names to know for the Indians in this draft. Uh, The Indians are slotted to pick 23rd overall. This is a very deep draft. Specifically, if you're paying attention last year, last year's draft had no college pitching. It was a huge issue. Um, Last year's draft, in general, was very weak. Um... This year's draft is extremely strong, at least on paper at this point. Uh, There is depth all over. It's a little weak in bats. I don't know if it has quite as many impact bats. Uh, The the hitters definitely aren't as clean as a year ago, but uh, the depth is still greater. Uh, But again, college pitching in particular, I can't recall a class this deep in college pitching, and that's what's going to make this kind of a crazy year to follow the draft. So the Indians are picking 23rd. Um, in the state of Ohio, the prospect that kind of stands out off the tip of my tongue is Seth Lonsway over at Ohio State. Didn't play as a freshman because he was academically ineligible. Was a top 100 prospect at high school. This will be his second year. He didn't do very well in the Cape. So he's undersized, but he is left-handed. You have that issue of missing an entire season because of academics. Coming back, missing a ton of bats. But at the same time, uh, he... He didn't look good in the Cape, which is always an issue. He's He's got a... Basically, it's a very big prove-it year for him. Um, it's almost going to be hard for him to get his value up to where it was when he's out of high school. Um, it's unfortunate, but that's kind of where it is. Uh, the other guy, Connor Pohl, is a senior third baseman who's put up some really sick numbers for them. Uh I know over on Fangraphs they've listed Justin Fields, the quarterback, as he was a uh, uh, a good high school uh, player, but uh, I don't think uh, most people expect him to end up back on the baseball diamond. For the Indians in my mock, I had them taking uh, Nate Savino. Uh, this is kind of a questionable pick just because he is a Virginia commit, and those are traditionally hard to sign and he is a Virginia kid committed to Virginia. Double hard. But Savino is a left-handed pitcher who's mid-90s, has kind of a slurvy pitch. Uh, I think Fangraphs are one of those sites kind of compared some of the look of what he does to Madison Bumgarner. That's pretty high praise. I don't know if I'd compare anyone to Madison Bumgarner um, unless they were likely a top-five pick. I don't think anyone has him there right now. But the, one of the things with him is it's a non-traditional delivery. That's not that clean delivery teams like. 
but the Indians don't care about such things. Daniel Espino, non-traditional delivery. Uh, Lenny Torres, some non-traditional delivery. The Indians care about stuff more than they care about delivery. That also made him made sense. Uh, Gage Workman really stands out as a guy to know for the Cleveland Indians. He is extremely young. He is still 19 years old at this point, even though he is already into his junior year of college. He'll turn 20 in October, uh, meaning he's going to be younger than some of the high school seniors in this class, um, and he's a junior. He's big, uh, played shortstop, played third base, didn't look terrible at short um, in the Cape, but likely you're looking at third base or outfield for him. Um, and the other thing is, after... He wasn't particularly dominant in college, but he was very good in the Cape. And what we saw a year ago is the Indians put a lot of value on Cape performance last year. So you have this hitter, high-level Cape performance, extremely young for your class, has some time working as a middle infielder. He just checks every box. Um, The Indians have that comp A round pick. He could make sense there, depending on how he plays this year. He could be a second-round target, could be a third-round target. Um, but just definitely a name to keep in mind. He's one of those guys that just Gage Workman's going to end up a Cleveland Indian unless he plays so well that he puts himself out of the space to be a Cleveland Indian. Now, we know the Indians um, are one of the most age-conscious teams. One of my favorite things is if you go over to uh, fan graphs, I, I mean, it's very helpful that they have a sort by age, but poor Zarian Sharp of UNC Wilmington, his listed age is 120.4 years. Now, clearly he's 20.4 years when the draft comes, but they put a one in there and no one's corrected it. So according to this, Zarian Smith, draft eligible pitcher from UNC Wilmington, left-handed pitcher, is 120.4 years. It looks really good for 120 years. You look through here... Um, Oh, I'm currently on the old end of things. Let's switch over on Jeffrey Waters, uh, named to know, undersized. He is 16 and a half, youngest player in this draft class. Yeah, that's right. He is currently 16 and a half. He or no, I'm sorry. He's currently 15. He'll be 16 when he's drafted. Um, so very young, up the middle. Currently a center fielder. A lot of tools. Uh, but when you're looking at Georgia kid, the Indians haven't been too heavy in Georgia. But he's also been a pitcher, I believe, and um, and an outfielder. Yeah, so when the draft hits, he'll be 16 and a half. Talk about youth. Uh, 91 with his fastball. Probably not going to stick in center with a 60-yard dash of uh, 7 seconds. But exit velocity, 92 miles an hour. That's, that's pretty good. So maybe a corner outfielder definitely has the arm for right. Uh, potentially a pitcher. Uh, the Indians have liked undersized guys over the years. He's currently 5'11", but that extreme youth, if he's committed to Maryland, which is a solid program, but not like a great program, he's likely a day two guy, but just another player to keep in mind. Um, Robbie, no, that's not who I wanted to talk about. Uh, Blaze Jordan, I don't think will be there, but would kind of make sense. I'm trying to find... Um, a few other guys that really stood out for potential Indians picks. I did not think Robbie Ashford, even though he fits the age grouping. Um, I thought, oh yeah, here we go. Petey uh, Halpin, who is a California kid. They love to draft from California. He's going to be 18 on draft day. Very toolsy. He is right-handed. They prefer left-handed. I'm sorry, no, he is left-handed. 
Uh, and then I was I got confused because I was looking at the other guy who stands out is a, a name that the Indians would be in, and that's Ryan Hagnow, who it's uh, he's going to be 18 on draft day, six foot five, pitcher, uh, lots of projection, throws multiple pitches pretty well. I could see him being a comp round selection for the Indians. I could see him having a good year and being the Indians' first round pick. Um, I believe he's also a good color or high school. Uh, I want to say he plays football. There's another sport with him in my mind. But, yeah, he's uh, just, there's a lot of projection left. He's, you know, low 90s, but could eventually pick it up. Uh, Just interesting guy to to kind of check out in terms of knowing what the Indians look like. Those are kind of some of the fun names, just knowing how much the Indians um, are huge fans of youth uh, when it comes to the draft. In terms of maybe a shortstop, you know, it, there's not one that, that grabs me too much in terms of that guy who's just going to be barely 18. Um, you know, we saw the Indians kind of go with um, Cairo and Jordanes, uh, but this is not a great shortstop class. Something that is great is Vivid Seats. They are our sponsor today. Um, if you want to go to an event or venue or you know anywhere you need to buy tickets, Vivid Seats is the place to go because they have this built-in reward system. You're going to get um, rewarded for going and using Vivid Seats, and we are going to reward you by going and using the promo code Postseason. That's right, they are a, our postseason sponsor in particular. So you're going to go over to Vivid Seats. You're going to use the promo code Postseason, one word. And you could save up to 100 bucks on your tickets. Uh, if you want to go see a postseason game, use Vivid Seats. So there's so much we can focus on this offseason. Obviously, I spent the first half of the show talking about my mock and some of the fun things with that draft. We'll see if for the third year in a row I can get the White Sox pick and know who they're picking before they do. But something that I've talked about a lot with the Indians this year is uh, the 40-man crunch. So I thought we'd just spend a little bit of time on that have lots of time this week to talk about it i've also this week we'll have those last two interviews with alex call and sam henkes from my time in double a but when you're sitting there going through with the indians and this 40 man i just thought we could spend some time on today's show focusing on guys who are going to need to be added for this i'm using um, roster resources via fan graphs uh the site hasn't been quite as strong since Fangraphs took him over. It's, it, has, it just didn't get updated as much this year. Uh, I'm sure it'll get fixed and taken care of. You don't go and inquire because such a great site, series like Roster Resources, just to kind of let it sit there. Um, when you go and you look there yourself, you'll notice like Daniel Salters is listed. He retired early in the season. There's a few other guys who are no longer with the Indians who are still listed. And uh, if a player is going to be eligible this offseason they're still not they're listed as december 19 eligible um which is yes it has not occurred yet but still uh it's one of those things it's good to go through and just kind of look at the names because you know just pointing out why i think there's a roster crunch so when you first start going down through here the some of the guys that stand out that they're gonna have to make decisions on uh, in terms of on the roster, not on the roster, and such things like that. Daniel Johnson, I think he gets added. I think that's a pretty safe assumption. Um, Kyle Dowdy, they could risk losing him again. Scott Moss, you know, they went out of their way to get him in a trade. Do they risk letting a, a big lefty with his stuff get exposed, especially one who's been up in AAA? I think he likely gets added. 
Uh, Jared Robinson's an interesting player. They don't need to... I mean, we'll see what they do with him. I think the fact he wasn't already added is kind of a writing-on-the-wall moment. I think Cam Hill still has an outside chance, but it's kind of that same situation as with Robinson where, you know, the Indians clearly aren't that super high and they probably rather try to let those guys pass through um, as you continue to move down. Uh, Oscar Gonzalez is kind of an interesting player, got up to double A, had some really interesting statistical anomalies, but I don't think he's going to get added. Uh, you know, Andrew Calica is still listed here. He retired as well. Uh... There's not a whole lot of batters really in that triple A group or in the double A group that stand out. Uh, Tristan McKenzie needs to be added. We just keep going down the list. Uh, I don't think Brandon Krauth is someone who that's really a concern. You kind of go and when you get down to the guys, it, it, this must be kind of the mid-season listing of, of players or a little bit beforehand. But as you're going down, it's it, there isn't a lot there we have to worry about so much. It's guys like Juan Hillman who isn't going to be added, or Skyler Arias, who I'm not even sure is with the team at this point. And then you get down to the lower, lower minors, and there's not as much there. Unfortunately, this has not, um, not been heavily updated. And the other thing just to keep in mind is the Indians have been, you know, last year they got Luplo and Max Moore off uh, in deals close to the trade deadline and they got uh, Hugh from Tampa and Lockett from San Diego because they kind of were trying to uh, throw darts and see if any of these guys could stick but they were taking advantage of teams under their own 40-man crunch um, eventually they used Lockett as a trade asset to get Kevin P which I mean is a backup catcher he worked out for them uh, Hugh did not work out at all but Leplo has been fantastic there's a few really obvious ads for the Indians and, you know, those two obvious guys are Daniel Johnson and Tristan McKenzie. Currently, the Indians are sitting at 47 players, um, technically on the 40-man. I know it's a 40-man. The reason they have seven others is because guys on the 60-day disabled list. Um, of those 47, the only free agents are Clippard and Kipnis, and that takes you down to 45. Some of these guys, uh, you know, Ryan Flattery, he's not going to be sticking around. Uh, Danny Salazar will not be here. There's going to have to be a few other players cut throughout. Um, I think it's pretty easy to kind of go through and find some weak spots on the team. And that's something we'll do later this week, really dive into those 47 players and talk about who's going to be added, who's going to be taken off. But to go back to kind of the main point here, who else are players who kind of stand as, as could be additions to the Indians 40-man? Uh, Jose Fermin stands out. I think he's... A, a top 20 prospect middle infielder had a really nice season this year in low ball uh low a Luis Oviedo his stock is probably is down from a year ago but still an interesting arm uh Kaye Tom does have a chance to be added and I think that's also kind of where you have your Cam Hill and your Jared Robinson discussions as well uh the Indians have a lot of potential fat on the roster they did do some trimming of it um just in terms of guys like John Edwards and Jordan Stevens and Josh Smith were let go. But, uh, you know, it, it's it's kind of a nice situation to have in a way because it means they have depth. But I do expect the Indians to uh, to probably lose at least one player in the Rule 5 draft this year. <laughs> I debated if I'd cut that or leave it in. I decided people might think it's funny. Um, pardon for the break in the middle of the podcast, but I had a... Uh, First, I had stopped earlier because a spider ran across my path, and then that little bit in there was when that same spider crawled up my leg. So, yeah, some uh, 
some fun little guests occurring. Uh, I hope some people can get a laugh out of that moment. But to get back into what we've been discussing in the Indians in this offseason, the Indians have to do something. They can't just sit on the sidelines for the third year in a row because it hasn't been successful. Um, after they made it to the World Series, they didn't sit on the sidelines. Well, they did, and they waited for the market to adjust to them, and they added Edwin Encarnacion. Now, unfortunately, it didn't really work out the way they hoped. Um, he was not the same hitter that he had been in Toronto, and the problem is since then, uh, they've had two off-seasons of very little, and they don't have to do anything huge, but they do need to do something to help this team. The Indians, they can't just look at this as like, we'll have Chang and Arroyo uh, split time at third base, see who stands is, is uh, who stands out until Nolan Jones is ready. We, we can't do that again this year. Um, they can't roll in hoping that Bradley Zimmer is going to fill in an outfield spot or that Daniel Johnson will just transition to the majors without any problem. You can't go in thinking the bullpen is okay because the bullpen imploded down the stretch and when you just go back to those blown saves that that's one of the reasons this team didn't make the playoffs so the indians they do have that talent in the upper minors it is starting to develop it is starting to get there they're going to have a wave of talent that can help them next year but the problem with minor league players is they often they don't always hit right away it can take some ups and downs it's not always this quick process like we saw, say, a Mercado or with Lindor who came up. Sometimes it's like Jose Ramirez where they have to go back down and it takes a bit of time. Or if you look at the White Sox with Lucas Giolito, I mean, people left him for dead as a starter two or three times. And then this year he was utterly phenomenal. So while there is talent coming, you can't count on it. It's not a sure thing. Um, there's always the chance that someone like Karen Chalk could struggle next year out of the gate or has a health issue um you can't go in counting on the relative unknown you can't count on kluber coming back and being 80 percent of what he was you can't count on the same for carrasco the team in its current form right now has two aces and three back end um you can maybe roll with that because of the chance with some of those vets who are hurt but they need to do things to help depend they need to do things to help their everyday lineup uh I mean, this is kind of a last hurrah year. Let's be honest. At the end of this season, they are very likely to trade Francisco Lindor. Um, it's what the Red Sox are going through with Mookie Betts and why they'll likely trade him this offseason. For that same reason, the Indians uh, are very likely to trade Lindor. Um, part of me would never happen. would love to see the Indians kind of go all in on trying to get someone like Betts and then just getting a draft pick comp in the offseason for him. Just because how that would transform your lineup, the Red Sox would not trade him. I think if they trade him, they're going to favor a National League team. But if you could do something of a trade and keep Nolan Jones, I'd be all about it. But that's kind of where the Indians are. They need to be smart. They need to go out and figure out ways to make this team better. It cannot be a repeat of the last two years. I want to thank everyone for listening. I do not want to thank that spider who decided to join the podcast, though. Your rate and reviews have helped. The numbers... Uh, are continuing to go strong and it's thanks to you guys that this podcast is still doing as well as it is and as always go tribe